as a kid, I didn't like my facial features very much because your you know, facial features features like I was a little bit scared about how I look because you know I have a little bit distinct facial features in my face and uh, because of that I was kind of a little bit bullied like you know some friends called me like outsider or foreigners so I was kind of isolated and yeah this kind of experience must be influencing me like I want to see the world I want to get out of the small town or something like that welcome to the bridge beyond English podcast this is an English podcast that will help you expand your creative thinking global awareness and cross-cultural communication skills so that you can connect more deeply with the world I'm your host, David Nagai. In this episode, I interview my own student here at Bridge Beyond English in Yokohama. Her name is Sayako Yamamoto. She's changed her career a few times. She started working for the defense ministry here in Japan, and then she worked for an environmental institute, also here in Japan, and she's currently a freelance translator. She studied Portuguese in university, and for her master's degree in the UK, she studied conflict resolution. In our conversation, we go all over the place. We discuss what she's learned about herself or about the world from her travels and different career opportunities, and how to navigate changing your career when your job doesn't seem to be making you happy or healthy anymore. I'm so excited to share this interview with you. Welcome, Sayako Yamamoto. Saya, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So I want to get started by just asking you about where you grew up and what your childhood was like. I'm from a small town named uh, Ito City in Shizuoka Prefecture. Have you been there before? I have not been there. Okay. Yeah, you don't have to actually. <laughs> but <laughs> I think the environment was very good for children to grow up because it, it faces the Pacific Ocean and it has delicious seafood and hot springs. So yeah, it's very calm and nothing, nothing special to do actually. But yeah, it's, I think you can spend very healthy childhood there. And what were some of the influential experiences in your childhood? like teachers or friends or travel? Well, it's it's an interesting question because although I was surrounded by beautiful nature and green, but I was pretty uh, introvert person and solitary person as a kid. So I didn't mind spending time on my own. So when I was hanging out with my friends, I was totally okay to say, oh, Sorry, guys, I have 
a TV program to, to watch. So sorry, I have to get going and see you later. <laughs> okay, so you could easily just tell people that you had to go and go do your own thing as an introvert. Yeah. So did you read books, watch TV, yes. play outside? Mm. Yeah, readings and watching films has been close to my heart. So I really doing some sort of things, activities. Were there any films or books that most influenced you as a kid? Well, uh, as a kid, I used to read adventure or something like that. And as for films, I liked uh, watching something like, you know, Back to the Futures or Indiana Jones or something like that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. As you went through high school, mm. uh, what were you imagining you would do for university or as an adult? Did you have any aspirations, any curiosity, any dreams? Yeah. Since, especially because I, from a small town, I, I've always wanted to see the world. I wanted to see something that I haven't experienced or something like that. And yeah, and also it's not a big thing, but as a kid, I didn't like my uh, facial features very much because- Your, your you know, facial features. Features, like I was a little bit scared about how I look because, you know, I have a little bit distinct facial features in my face. And uh, because of that, I was kind of a little bit bullied, like, you know, some friends called me like outsider or foreigners. So I was kind of isolated. And yeah, this kind of experience must be influencing me. Like, I want to see the world. I want to get out of the small town or something like that. So you felt, you felt a little bit judged and bullied and like an outcast in some ways because you had lighter skin and slightly different features from mm -hmm. most Japanese. Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. I thought right now it wasn't a big thing because it's something that everybody would experience as a kid. So yeah, I think I was ashamed of something that I shouldn't. Mm. Because, mm. yeah, kids want to fit in and not be bullied, right? So it's <laughs> very natural, right? So it sounds like the way people reacted to the way you look influenced your curiosity for travel and going away far somewhere mm -hmm. else. Do you think it also gave you an opportunity to experience a difficulty so that you could have more empathy for other people? who are also outsiders? Well, because I had this kind of experience as a kid. Yeah, I tried not to do the same thing. I think I was able to develop this kind of empathy in my mind without noticing it, I think. So as you were finishing high school, looking mm -hmm. toward your adult life, mm -hmm. what were your ideas of what to study and where to go, what to do? I remember I decided to go to a university that offered good uh, language learning environment. And uh, yeah, I decided to go to a university in Tokyo and decided to major in Portuguese. Portuguese language? Mm. How did you decide Portuguese? Well, to be honest, there were 
two main reasons. One was, you know, the English department under the university was pretty competitive. And I wanted to secure my seat in the university very much. So I was, as a high school student, I was uh, a little bit uh, realistic. So I decided to Portuguese, which was less competitive than English department. And also I was practicing music uh, when I was a little, like four, four years old. So yes, I uh, liked Bossa Nova, which is uh, Brazilian music. And I liked, uh, you know, whispering and soft voice of music. So I thought it would be a good idea to yeah, give it a study. Ah, okay. So part of it was practical securing your seat and part of it was your enjoyment of music from Brazil. Yeah, yes, yes. Okay. Great. I'm glad it wasn't only practical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so how did you learn English? Watching films uh, really helped me to learn authentic English because actually I didn't have a chance to go abroad until the age of 20. So technically speaking, it was the only way for me to, you know, touch on authentic English and learn how native speakers actually speak. So films were very influential. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm guessing you studied English in like high school, Mm -hmm. uh, at least a little bit in your school, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yes, I think I was good at uh, learning and memorizing words and grammar because you can you can do it on your own. But yeah, when it comes to authenticity in English, I think, yeah, the experience of staying in the United States for my job and in the UK for my study uh, really helped me to improve my language skill to the next level. So after university, mm-hmm. you did some work in the US and studied in the UK. Sure, yes, exactly. What was your field of work after university? I started working for Defense Ministry uh, straight after the graduation of university. The the Defense Ministry in Japan? Defense Ministry in Japan. And five five years later, uh, I wanted to study more and wanted to know what I I had been interested in. So I decided to go to the United Kingdom to to study conflict resolutions. Conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I want to talk about your experience studying conflict (laughs) resolution, revolution, conflict (laughs) resolution (laughs) uh, in the UK. Mm. But first, I want to just go back to your first five years at the defense ministry. Can you describe your role and what you learned, what you observed in that time? So after graduating from university, I entered the Ministry of Defense. And the first assignment for me was to become an English instructor for self-defense personnel who were uh, going to the United States or other countries to take trainings. That was my main job. How did that feel being uh, an English teacher, even though you were not a native English speaker? Uh, yeah, very challenging because 
learning language on my own and teaching English to someone is totally different. Right. Yeah. And at some point, I felt a little bit scared whether I, I, am, I was appropriate for this role or assignment. But yeah, with the help of my colleagues, I, I was able to change my mindset because, you know, language learning,、uh, you know, lasts forever, actually. <laughs> so you don't have to be perfect from the beginning. And I try to learn English while teaching English to my students. So this is my、uh, mindset shift or change. So, you embraced the opportunity and saw it as a big investment in your own language and、mm-hmm. doing your job better and better day by day. Exactly. And、uh, my office was located in Yokosuka, which is very close to US Yokosuka base. And native teachers from、uh, Yokosuka base came to my office every day. So, yes, I had an opportunity to practice my English with them. What did you? Learn about teaching when you encouraged your students? Yeah, I try to、uh, make my class as interesting and authentic as possible. Like, I try to include some sort of interesting articles or news or sometimes、uh, films that I watched and that would, I thought would be.、Um, Important and influential for my students. So that was my strategy to not to make my class boring or something like that.、Ah, yeah. I, I resonate with you. I do the same thing in my、mm-hmm. class. So the, the things I love, like reading and listening to presentations, TED Talks,、mm-hmm. reading articles,、mm-hmm. I just、uh, bring those to my class. And people enjoy it, and I can enjoy it. So, mixing my hobby and my work. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, yeah, I remember one of my students said to me that I'm not sure whether I'm actually interested in what you said, but I really liked you talking about what you are passionate about. <laughs> so. Ah, so the student could sense your passion. Yes. <laughs> wow, okay. And also, Another thing I tried to keep in mind was、uh, trying to treat my students equally.、Mm. Uh, that was a very、uh, hard part that I tried to keep it in mind because if, you know, if some of them felt like I was kind of disrespected or isolated, they would lose motivation to keep studying. So, after five years in、mm. that role, Why did you move to the UK to study conflict resolution? Well, I came across this theory when I was、uh, studying at the undergraduate school because I was,、uh, apart from、uh, Portuguese language, I was studying、uh, wars and conflict in African nations as well. Okay. During this study, I came across this theory and I. Really got interested in it. And yeah, I had been a passion to dig in much deeper with this subject someday when I, when I had the chance to do so. And yeah. So, what is the basic concept of the theory?、Mm, okay. So, conflict resolution is a,、uh, is a study of understanding、um, 
How can I say causes and dynamics of social conflict at any levels, including you know, person-to-person uh, -person conflict through to international conflict, and try to uh, develop judgment on when and how to intervene with the conflict as a third party effectively. So that is an explanation of conflict resolution in a nutshell. What's the name of that theory? Is there a name for it? Theory of conflict resolution. Oh, theory of conflict resolution. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. oh, okay, that's pretty straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What well, I got interested in the conflict resolution was, you know, in this theory, uh, conflict is not seen something negative necessarily. Uh, rather, um, uh, it is seen something positive. It's something that shed light on conflict and start a conversation or discussion and mobilize people to, to uh, solve it. So I thought it was very practical theory and I thought uh, I could apply uh, part of it into my personal life. Yeah, that's interesting that uh, sometimes people avoid conflict. They think it's bad, but conflict is actually active problem solving or active communication to improve the life of both parties, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yes. So in, in the UK, uh, during your master's program, can you describe, first of all, kind of the, the culture shock or adjustment to being in a different country? And then secondly, uh, some, mm -hmm. some ideas that you learned? Well, first of all, uh, I didn't have that much culture shock because it was in the UK. So yes, I didn't have big, big culture shock that I would have experienced in other countries, like remote countries or... Like, okay, Be because the infrastructure was quite nice and mm -hmm. there's some commonalities with Japan. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And yeah, I made friends with uh, very nice people and they really helped me because I wasn't a native speaker. But it was, especially at the beginning, I had difficulty to catch up on lectures. Yeah, you know, they use big words and uh, technical words. So I have to uh, get used to this kind of academic environment. And also the discussions were mainly based on uh, how can I say, uh, students' contribution, like student-oriented, and you have to explain your opinions. So I was kind of forced to think and express myself in English. It was challenging, but I think it helped me to, yeah, improve my uh, skills and social skills as well. Yes. So the kind of Western education style of participation, mm -hmm. asking questions, expressing your strong opinion, debating other ideas. Yes, it was pretty new because I was very used to uh, lectures and lessons that goes very one-way lecture from teacher to student. <laughs> it was easier for me, but I think I had to break this kind of comfort zone to, yes, <laughs> to be, um, how can I say, international person. So how did you grow in confidence? Because 
if you're using English as a third language, mm-hmm. second or third language, and you have all these uh, maybe very outspoken uh, Western people expressing their opinion, mm-hmm. which is what they've learned since they were young. <laughs> uh, how did you? How did you survive? <laughs> how did you adapt? I don't know, David. What did I do? <laughs> you, you just had no choice, right? You just, you just, you just did it. Yeah, I just did it, and also, yeah, I see. But because uh, the course was very international, like yeah, ex- accepting not only uh, British people but people from other countries. So I saw many native speakers who didn't speak perfect English, but they are very good at. Uh, expressing themselves so it was very inspiring like you know yeah you can it, it's totally okay you know have to be perfect and as long as you can be understood yeah that's a great point I mean I listen to podcasts and there's one podcast where there's often Harvard University professors and you know Harvard mm-hmm. University has a lot of international professors mm-hmm. And some of them don't have perfect grammar or mm. pronunciation, but of course they're really smart and they can express all their ideas very mm. well, like almost perfectly. Mm. So that just reminds me, it doesn't matter if you have an accent that's different from American or British or whatever, mm-hmm. and you don't even have to have perfect grammar. And I want to encourage all the listeners and my students, just don't worry about being perfect, right? Because you can express so much. Yeah, as a as your student, I felt your efforts to create a comfortable environment for students to speak up. You don't have to be you don't have to be afraid. You know, I really appreciate that. I'm good. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone likes to be in an environment where mm-hmm. they feel threatened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I also remember, yeah, I try to be, be myself because I'm naturally an introvert person. So no matter how I try, no matter how much I try, I couldn't be extrovert and I couldn't be a very friendly person. (laughs) So yeah, yes, so I, yeah, I try to improve my English and try to express my opinion. But on the other hand, I try to be myself as much as possible. Yeah. Right. Okay. So this is a very interesting concept, I think. How can we adjust to a culture or a situation in an appropriate way, but also be free to be ourselves? Yeah. That's a tricky one, right? Yes. Yeah. Because sometimes you need to be social and go to a party <laughs> or you know, talk with people more, but sometimes you need to go to your dorm room and just be alone, right? Exactly. Balance is important. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's okay to be yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what were some of the things about conflict resolution that you learned a little more of? Some maybe maybe moments of aha moments or epiphanies Mm -hmm. or really useful experiences or concepts that you gained from your program? Um, yeah, one of them is, have you heard of the theory of neutrality and impartiality? Vaguely. 
Maybe, okay. Can you explain it? Sure, sure, in a nutshell. So imagine that there are two conflict parties, like group A and group B. And so for some reason, group B is more powerful than group A, socially and politically and financially. And they are enjoying privileges at the cost of group A. In this situation, you have to intervene with this situation as a third party. And if you take our neutral attitude, you mean it means you don't actually do anything. You don't take side. You're just standing apart from the contending issues because you want to be neutral. But if you take impartial attitude in it, you actually take action. You support group A in order to uh, redress uh, grievance or balance. So to the level that everybody in this society or community or whatever can enjoy the same level of privilege. So this is a theory. Of <laughs> so let, let me check that I understand mm. kind of this concept. If you're mm -hmm. only neutral, mm. then it means you're passive and you don't help anyone. You just ignore. Yes. But if you're impartial mm -hmm. and you take one side and you try to help them, like advocate for them like a lawyer or representative, and then the other side can maybe have their representative or somebody helping them, then you can have a conversation and resolve the conflict. Yes, exactly. Yes. That's okay. Very. And I, when I studied this theory, I had um, some sort of epiphany like aha moment, you know, because neutrality seems to be good and positive, but it isn't all the time. You have to take action. You have to create an impartial attitude to make things better. And yeah, it's really complex. And I can't say which is better because it, it depends on the situation, but I believe in the power of impartiality and try to put it into practice in everyday life. Like question myself whether I'm just turning blind eyes to the situation because it's easier. As I can right. right. <laughs> so sometimes we fool ourselves where we think that we're being peaceful or mm -hmm. harmonious, <laughs> but actually we're just ignoring the problem. And then we become part of the problem because we don't speak up. Exactly. So how did... Uh, when you returned to Japan, mm. you must have had a whole new perspective on the world about conflict. Mm. I'm just trying to imagine if you came back to Japan and it's a culture of very much avoiding conflict. Mm -hmm. How did you adapt your new understanding to Japanese culture and society? Mm. Yeah, it's really easier them down so <laughs> pretty difficult to put actually in practice but yeah when I was working for the headquarters of the defense ministry uh, I was pretty busy at the office because the, the office was always understaffed so this was when you came back from the UK you shifted to the headquarters yes, I was uh, transferred to the headquarters yes. okay yes Yes, and you know, when you are busy, you can't think of others, right? Right. 
you you just want to take care of yourself. And because I was busy, meaning my colleague must have been busy. And I sometimes try yeah, to put myself first and yeah, I turn blind eye to really uh, complicating job work. Um, but yeah, but when came up with this neutrality or impartiality idea, and yeah, I tried to, yeah, try to do something that I, that I could do to make the uh, situation better, like asking my boss to reduce some burden of my colleagues, like my younger colleagues. Well, sometimes we have to just survive and we can't do as much conflict resolution at that time for, for other people, right? Yeah, yes. Uh, but if we're in a position of power or we have space in our mind or schedule, it, it just makes it easier to take on extra conflict resolution. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Yeah, yes. How was your experience at the Defense Ministry's headquarters? Um, overall, what were some things you learned, experienced, and, and where did that lead you? Well, you know, uh, at first I was working as an instructor and then after being transferred to the headquarters, I was working as an, uh, holding me as an official to, to arrange meetings with uh, our foreign counterparts. So a foreign liaison official? Official, yes. Okay, definitely. so you, you were a bridge between the Japanese government and foreign governments? Exactly. And so when I look back my career path, it was very, you know, social occupation. But I'm actually, personally, I'm a little bit a solitary person. So I was... I felt like I was acting somewhere else when I was working because I have to interact with people, connect uh, communication with people. But yeah, I thought I managed to do that for 10 years. And I felt confident that maybe sociable part would be one of my part, one of my personality. <laughs> so I, yeah, I tried to build up my soft skills as well during my experience in the, in the organization. Soft skills, like social skills, social skills. people skills. People okay. Skills. Yeah. Okay. Well, mm -hmm. you're very, you're very personable. <laughs> so you did a good job. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, so how long did you stay with the defense ministry at the headquarters? I spent two years. Yes. Okay. And eventually you left. Can I ask um, what led you to leave? It, it, just because you didn't feel like it was your personality to do that job? Well, the main reason why I decided to uh, leave the job was uh, for my health, mm -hmm. actually. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. Um, uh, as I said earlier, I was very busy at work. And yeah, I was... And also I had to take crowded commuting train every day for a long time. So yes, I was about to break down mentally and physically. And yeah, at that time I was a little bit weak and I thought I couldn't continue that. And yeah, and I decided to put my health first and yeah. Wow, that's, that's really relevant 
um, to a lot of people right now with the pandemic and with uh, the turbulent times mm -hmm. that are unstable. A lot yeah. of people experience various degrees of mental stress, physical stress, social stress. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so what's, what would be some of your advice to our listeners who maybe feel like they're in some kind of a similar situation where maybe they mm -hmm. want a career change or they don't, they're overworked at their company mm -hmm. or they want to try something different or maybe they don't have time to think and to take care of themselves, and they just need to rest? Yeah, it's a very difficult question because, as you said, everybody has thought about whether continuing your current job or quit it and find something else. So, yeah, it's very yeah, difficult. But at the time, I thought that, you know, you never know when you're going to die. And I wanted to spend my life as happy as I can. So, yeah, I was pretty positive about my decision because, yeah, you know, if you want to step into the next stage, there is always something you have to lose. For me, it was job security. <laughs> but, yeah, but I thought it would be a good opportunity to take your time and reflect on yourself and what you are committed to yeah yeah i totally agree i like what you said it's so important in order to do something new mm. or transition to something better we have to lose something we have to let go of something right we can't keep holding everything it's too heavy it's too much yes so we need to prioritize so then did you discover what you wanted after that it wasn't a thing that I could find overnight or something like that. Right. So, it took some time. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I decided to have a job which is less stressful and which is closer from where I live. Yeah, so I decided to uh, start working for an environmental think tank. Did you say think tank? Think tank. Okay, okay. Usually I heard you say institute. So I. Oh, right. Okay, so you started working for an environmental think tank closer to home, less stressful. <laughs> and you care about the environment as well, right? So it kind of ticked multiple boxes for yeah. your values. Yes, yes. And what did, what did you learn or experience at that job? So in the institute, I was working as an energy policy researcher and also doing some sort of lobbying activities to push the government to set ambitious greenhouse gas emission reduction goals. So because Japan is behind other countries when it comes to this topic. So I, we have to push the government to do that. So you push the government to become greener faster. Mm -hmm. um, didn't you work with businesses as well to help businesses do the same? Yes. Uh, our office, uh, my team also uh, functioned as a um, secretary of um, industry group of uh, private companies who are ambitious to shift their business to decarbonization. So we are technically helping 
these private companies to create some sort of policy asks to the government because we need uh, renewable energies in order to thrive whatever industry it is. So the businesses, you can help the businesses put pressure on the government mm-hmm. to make a greener system because mm-hmm. the businesses need that system in order to become greener. Exactly, yes. So yeah. what, were, what were some of the challenges and interesting things you learned from that? We sometimes monitor uh, conferences in the government or in the ministry and deciding how to improve the situation, like renewable situation or energy situation. And there are always committee members who have different opinions. Some are pro-climate, some are anti-climate or they were pro-industry. And it's pretty hard to say opinions from the members saying uh, climate changes is not human-induced. It, it has been happening naturally or something like that. But if you listen to the scientists, it is not the case. But still, there are some people who are in denial. But, you know, in order to improve the situation in Japan's context, you have to, not only the people with the same opinion, but also people with different opinions. So the challenge was that we sometimes approach people with different opinions, like pro-industry people, and to express why we believe that we have to take action immediately. So, yeah. Right, so you were able to use your communication skills and your conflict resolution skills to negotiate and facilitate, right? Yeah, looks like it. <laughs> yeah. So eventually you left that job to get more into mm. translation work. Mm-hmm. Um, what led you to leave? Well, I was, as I'm working for the Institute, I was able to build confidence because I had experience in security and also environmental issues for climate change. And I have been studying language for a long time. So I, I thought I would be able to make the most of this experience. And also, I, I know that I can be more productive when I'm working alone. So combining my experience and my personality, and yeah, and I thought it would be time for me to go freelancer and do some translation work. And okay, so now <laughs> moving into freelance translation. I think it's, it's interesting for all our listeners to also reflect on uh, what their unique experience is and what their unique personality and mm-hmm. interests are mm-hmm. and uh, looking at how to combine those things to optimize their work mm-hmm. situation. And yeah. of course, you know, you and I have the privilege of uh, starting our own ventures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with that, there's risk and vulnerability. We don't know what will happen, right? Yeah. There's not that security of a paycheck Exactly. from the boss, right? What kind of mindset do you have to face the ambiguity or uncertainty, instability of quitting your job mm. a couple of times and moving into the unknown future of your work? Mm. What keeps you going? What keeps me going? Yeah, I think 
can figure out that uh, in order to mentally and physically healthy, it's important for me to doing something I'm committed to. So I don't have to be paid very much. Uh, unless I can do something I'm interested in. So that was my priority. And of course, I have to appreciate the current situation because my husband has luckily a full-time job right now. So he supports me and he is very understanding. So I have to appreciate the situation. Yeah, I can totally identify with that. I mean, my wife... And I are both entrepreneurs, freelancers. Mm -hmm. So we kind of took turns starting our businesses mm -hmm. and experimenting. So if it was just me, I would have no one to uh, help me out. And she would not have been able to do it as easily mm -hmm. if she was alone too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, not everyone is in an easy position to quit their job and start something new. Yes, yeah. Um, but I, I do think that some people are stuck in their jobs that they really don't like. Mm. And it does affect their health and uh, physically and mentally. Mm -hmm. And I hope they can just keep thinking about how to creatively adjust their job or mm. role or something mm -hmm. so that they can enjoy it and live a happy life. Yeah. What, what, what would you say to someone who doesn't have as much flexibility yeah, very. I think it's a very tough question. Yeah, maybe. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I was just yeah organizing my thoughts. I think yeah, if you have a power or energy to do so, I think it would be good to have friend circle outside the job, because if you see or meet people who have colorful life or people from different backgrounds, I think you can make yourself open-minded. Like, you know, you don't have to be worried about too much because some people do something very strange, very unique, but you can, they can manage to, to live or something like that. And yeah, I, I think, uh, luckily I have friends with colorful lives and I, they were really inspiring to me. So they give me courage to take action. So yeah, that would be yeah, the idea. Having friends outside your work circle. Yeah. Is, yeah, super important. Mentors or something like that. Well, oh, mentors, like people who can invest in your ways of thinking or career advice. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, so I think uh, if if we can all just have more diverse community. We can imagine new possibilities of how to live. And if we have mm -hmm. people who are more experienced than us uh, investing in us, we can gain from them, right? Exactly, yeah. From their experience. <laughs> yes. Maybe one barrier, uh, people need to make money, right? Mm. But it sounds like, like for you and for me, mm -hmm. for a lot of entrepreneurs I know, mm -hmm. uh, if money is not the most important thing, we can follow our passion and we can do something that is meaningful um, and hopefully make some money too. But yeah. like, in my opinion, if you live a more simple life, you don't have to make as much money. Yes. And if you're, if you do that, then you can spend time doing simple things that you enjoy, like making podcasts for free. 
<laughs> yeah, couldn't agree more. I think we are on the same page. So what inspires your creativity? What gives you inspiration and new ideas? Mm. You ask the most difficult question. Oh, it's my job. Say it's the best, the best. I don't know. I think, to be honest, I'm not a very creative person. As I just touched on a little bit earlier, I think having a mentor is very good because you can't be creative from scratch because it's important to follow something that your mentors or something before you have created. And it's important to see good films and touch on good arts. Yeah, accumulate these kind of works in your mind and think about what you can do uh, by adding your personality or something like that. So from what I understand, you like to collect diverse friends, mentors, people of different ages and backgrounds because mm -hmm. you can learn from them. They can stimulate your creativity and imagination. Mm -hmm. And you can also do the same through books, podcasts, mm -hmm. art, films, because it transports you to a different world, right? Mm -hmm. When you watch a film and it can spark infinite creativity. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Because I have been studying language and right now I'm doing translation and before that I did some sort of interpretation work and I always followed the person who were very good at and I still good expression that they used or something like that so that I can use it in the different context but that I can use it more effectively. Yes, that's what I did so maybe this is my creativity <laughs> yeah using what you learn using that foundation and then kind of building upon it and then translating it or using it in different situations <laughs> yeah that's yeah. great mm. okay well Saya thank you so much for joining the podcast today uh, did you have any last uh, comment or thoughts for our listeners before we say goodbye well uh, thanks for the opportunity i really appreciate it. it yeah i didn't have much opportunity to talk about myself especially in english so thanks David. And i appreciate your uh, interviewing skills it's really inspiring yeah thank you Oh, well, you're a very fun and easy person to interview. So <laughs> thank, yeah. you. thank you for joining. And uh, I'm glad you could accept my challenging questions and <laughs> give our audience some wonderful perspectives from your life, your struggles, and your imagination. So, Saya, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you want to help us spread this podcast to more people, you can write a review or leave a rating. And finally, 
if you are interested in using English to expand your creative thinking, global awareness, and cross-cultural communication skills, you can join a free trial class right here in Yokohama, Motomachi, or online. If that is something that interests you, you can click the link in the show notes or just visit us at bridgebeyondenglish.com. I'm your host, David Nagai. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.